Hey dudes and dudettes, what is going on? Welcome to episode number 28 of the Lepressed and Guest Podcast. My guest today is Dion Cunningham. Dion is an entrepreneur and mentor while currently finishing up his MBA. Dion comes back on the pod to discuss creativity and finding a space that allows you to maximize that potential. We also discuss music and briefly touch on some current events. Thank you so much to everyone who listens and supports the Lepressed and Guest Podcast. I love all my loyal fans, listeners, family, friends, and especially my guests. And last but certainly not least, as always, a special thank you to the men and women of our United States military. For without your bravery, dedication, and sacrifice, I would not be able to do what I love doing. I am forever in your debt. conversation to where we're going to have a good one. Cheers. Cheers, good sir. And my guy, we are rolling. We are live. Of course we are. Let me tell you about some excitement I got, right? Yeah, so Go ahead. we're just talking to me about a project. Is that what we're about to dive into? No, 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 no. So what's really interesting is we moved in November from Maryland, right? Where in, where, did I tell you that Maryland was the first birthday I remember having because I went to the Baltimore Aquarium? No kid. Yeah. We were south of Baltimore County. Okay. We were in uh, Millersville, Maryland. So not too far outside of Baltimore. Right. And um, in that transition, I thought I lost my my book. Mm. Now, because you came by and I was looking for this microphone stand, I have a little mini guitar. Real short, little compact mini guitar, right? But not a ukulele, an actual mini it's guitar? Not, yeah, it's a mini guitar electric. Mm. And... Uh, I, I look in that case for that cable, and my journal book was in that case. And I've been looking for it for 11 months. And I never thought to look in there because I would have never put it in there. So I'm going to assume the wife might have stuck it in there. And oh, boy. But uh, this is this is my journal of ideas, sir. Oh, man. You've got a lot of crazy folds on the pages, Let's dude. Check that out. So do specific ways you fold it mean certain things, or is it just a way to bookmark it, and that's just the it's fashion you've done? It's how I close out a, a thought, right? Um, if you have a breaking page like this right here, mm-hmm. that means I never completed this thought, right? So like this one has like, um, what would help build this? Are there life coaching certifications? What are your source, source references? Major list of motivational quotes or quotes. Um, so I never finished that thought. So this page stays open. So if it's a folded page, the thought has been finished. It's an idea or a concept that can be carried through. Mm. Do you have to use scissors to cut in? Or... Oh, no. It's just it's actually just a folder. Oh. But yeah. do you rotate every other page? Like if you finish the next one, do you rotate the yeah, fold? Yeah, fold the fold opposite direction. Even like just term creations and conditions for businesses. So folded pages, are you completely done with them? Do you come back to them? No, I can come back to them. I fold them so I know where I left off at. Um, and then every now and then, since I couldn't find it, I would have been reviewing it, right? I go back in, I'll pull this book out, and I'll look at what my ideas were, right? Mm. And um, I come across an idea. So this is supposed to travel with me, be in the car or if I'm on a plane or something. Have an idea, pull it out write the idea out, build it as far as I can build it, right? Mm-hmm. Fold the page, closes out that thought, right? If I come back in here and I'm reading through it, if I have 
three ideas that are consistent, then that's something I should do. That makes sense? Mm. So if it, it becomes repetitive, my mind has been working on that same idea and it, it keeps presenting in a different way. Gotcha. It's really useful. I, I think I came across this from like a, somebody else's like YouTube channel or something like that. It was like, hey, you know, I keep a journal, I keep it close. They got a bunch of little notebooks that they carry mm-hmm. around. And when they have a great idea, or in your case, comedy, right? Yeah. You come across a great joke or you come across, you saw something. Yes. How do you capture it? Yes. That's what I'm doing now is I make sure I carry around a little notebook with me. And that one, I've got myself in trouble. That one has to be strictly comedy. So if I have another thought that may be good for work or a side project I want to do, mm-hmm. if I don't feel like I can build that into a comedy bit, then it's not going in that book. Got you. You got to keep it separated. Mm-hmm. You, you can't, I can see how you can get in trouble with that. Yeah. So how do you decide if an idea, just the beginning kernel of it, is good enough, worthy to get in the book? Are you putting down anything or do you have to stew on it a little bit? Every idea is a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um Anything that's generated from within you should be valuable enough to, to put into reality, right? Because the thoughts, they're captured here, and we can internally think to ourselves, have that internal conversation dialogue, right? But when I put it in writing, that's real. It's realistic. And so that's part of the reason why I kind of shy away from computers. Because to me, it's, it's not a physical plane existence, right? I can type into the computer digitally. It takes that note. I can go back and read that note, right? Hmm. But when I write it out, there's motion behind writing. There's creation. Yes. Right? It's almost like, you know, I spoke into existence something, right? Once I speak it out loud, I'm speaking it and I'm writing it. That makes it real. Mm-hmm. And so now when I go back and read it, that concretes the, the idea, the concept again. So every idea, I think, if it comes across your mind and you can capture it, capture it and then when you go back to read it you'll know whether it was a good idea or not because you're gonna be like that was the dumbest shit i've ever read in my life like who thought that would be a good idea so when you get to that third the idea has manifested itself in three different scenarios Mm -hmm. are you then gonna take it to computer to start building on it or how do you build on it from there is that a new notebook what's your process to build on it from there i think that is based off of the individual um, mm-hmm. For me, I would the individual the idea or you the yourself person. first. Okay, the person. Um, I would probably move it to computer at that point because now what tools do I need to build this idea? Uh, for instance, if you decide you want to structure a business and you wanted to use one of the apps or a platform, then you need to get to the computer, right? And you can go and fill out all the forms and everything, just like if you went on Georgia SOS Secretary of State website and you wanted to go through and uh, file for your business. You need a computer to do that. I mean, you could go up to the municipality or municipal building, whatever you call that, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like municipality. Yeah, it's something like that. And I might have added a few I's and P's in there. <laughs> One of those great words. Uh, you can probably get the forms and hand channel. They still allow you to do that, but for Marvin. Yeah, use yeah. that's what I um, I was thankful yesterday I had to finish up and this is news I wanted to tell you I just recently embarked on the start of the process of embarking on my next journey for education and applied at KSU for what's called the double L program to where I'm going to do another undergrad and then around your second or third year you're also going to be able to take courses that applies to graduate programs 
Ooh, so it's a dual degree program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's what I'm in. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. I went and did a, a business undergrad, and I'm doing the MBA. So I'm on the master's I part of that now. Yeah, so that's dope. That's yeah, hell yeah. Why not? Go get a PhD. Absolutely. Why not? Why not? And I am. I'm hoping to work for one in philosophy. Really. Mm-hmm. What's the interest in philosophy? There's a possibility down the road I could see myself applying for law school. We'll see. And when I started diving into philosophy, because it helps you build arguments and understand logic and reasoning, and it really helps you with that, they're actually one of the higher accepted majors into law programs because of that. And you kind of have, in that sense, a leg up on one part of all of it. Huh. Is that a lot of writing? Like, is that is that a heavy program where you'd be doing 30, 40 page papers? I enjoy the writing, but we talked about this. Eventually, I want to become a public figure and be an advocate for good and bad. And when I'm around people like yourself, I really get inspired to make sure that if I am presenting an argument or arguing why maybe one policy is good for that, I'm not confident in my ability right now to be able to really articulate that in a logical, coherent way. Um, Maybe coherent, but making sure I don't have any straw man arguments, red herrings in there. So that's that's why I want to take philosophy and then go to an graduate program in either business administration or public administration. I think that'd be pretty dope for you. I could, I could see you in that space. You know, something interesting, like I, I don't find myself to be a strong writer. Mm. Um, I don't even find myself to be a strong speaker. However, um, I was doing some work, classwork, and I was at The Vine Restaurant, which is in Douglasville, Georgia, um, downtown Douglasville. And there's this older gentleman that it's one of the places I like to favor, and it's an older gentleman. He's always kind of in there, right? And I, I finally was just like, okay. A regular? He, he's a regular. And I'm like, I want to know what this, this guy does. He always has his computer out in front of him. He's always typing. I see him interacting with people a lot. So I was like, man, I'm going to talk to this guy. So I talked to him. Come to find out, he is a writer. And he's a seasoned writer, actually. Um, he does, I, I guess you would call them editorials for different uh, news outlets. So real quick, and mm-hmm. I can look this up, but mm-hmm. do you understand the difference between an editorial and op-ed and... I don't. Okay, I'll, I don't. I'll have to dive I think into that he, myself. he called it like an editorial, so I'm like, okay, yeah, I do hear you say that. Right? <laughs> um, he and I sat and we started talking. It was really interesting, the, the outcome of this, because we're not going to go over the whole conversation, but it was a great conversation, right? The outcome was, I want you to join our Writers Guild. And when we when he started telling me he was a writer, I was like, wow, I think that's really dope. People who can put their words um, into action without physical function, is it's amazing to me, right? And he was like, it's really about being in a creative space. Because I told him, well, I'm not a writer, you know? He was like, you don't have to be. He was like, a lot of them come here and they kind of group and gather around and it's being around other creators and he's like, you might want to create a video. You might want to do this, but he was like, you got support here that can help you do that. And I started thinking to myself, like, this could be very, very useful, right? It could be very beneficial mm-hmm. to me because it's definitely going to be a lot of mentorship there. It's an older group. Um, 
I read two of his articles or I read one of his articles and then an article of somebody he kind of mentors. They were great articles. And his humor in his writing, like the context, was very clear. And I think the article was labeled like Wanda or something like that. Mm-hmm. And in the article, Wanda was complaining about her trash. And it was a holiday schedule. And they hadn't come pick up her trash yet. Then she complained about, um, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm sorry. She complained about, um, dang, I probably put feedback back to the oh, microphone. We're good. We're good. Uh, she complained about the noise that they generate when they pick up the trash early in the morning and, mm-hmm. you know, just one of those type of individuals. And in his humor and writing, um, there was a lot of seriousness. So you can kind of laugh because he was kind of picking with Wanda, but he was giving clarifying facts about you don't understand the the reason why they hadn't picked up your trash yet. Mm. Um, there's people in, I think, like Sierra Leone, who might have mentioned that they don't have a trash service and there's just trash on the road. Uh, and he was pointing out to Wanda that, like, Wanda, you need to kind of humble yourself a little bit and let's not attack these hardworking individuals that this is their livelihood. You don't know if this is their second, third job. You don't mm-hmm. know if it's just their one job. And it was it was kind of a hit on like a modern day Karen, mm, right? Of course. Except now the name is Wanda. Okay. All right. <laughs> and just some basic context. I, I think that was really dope to, to have that conversation with him. Yeah, I think if you're able to stop and really put yourself in other people's shoes, then I do this thing where obviously I like to give people the benefit of the doubt, but mm-hmm. I do it in almost a bad way, if you will. Like this person is going off. Mm-hmm. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but be thinking, man, I wonder what tragedy they may have gone through. Almost, I almost go through to a worst case scenario, like, mm-hmm. and really try and empathize with them and sympathize and well, if they did just lose this, if they lost money on that, if they're behind on the mortgage payment, how would I feel? I probably might not handle it with half the grace they're handling it with right now. So try and give them the benefit of the doubt and almost think of a borderline worst case scenario that they've gone through. Have you ever came into one of those situations where you saw someone, for instance, like you might've been at the grocery store and the person in front of you was like short on change Mm -hmm. or um, forgot their like, debit card or something yeah and you can tell it was just something simple they were doing like a quick stop or something mm-hmm. have you ever had one of those moments and what did you do um i was actually a customer service team leader for a grocery chain down here and mm-hmm. we we had down to deal, here yeah mm-hmm. down here we had to deal with WIC, which is women infant children food program yeah and the couple had come in needing to get formula and literally they came in a day before before it expired? Before it was eligible to start. So oh. let's say it was starting on December 1st. They were in on November 30th. Yeah. And so they needed the formula. And they came up to me because I was the one at the time to make the call, whether it was yay or nay. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have the money to where I could personally buy it myself because that's what I thought about doing. I said, here's what's going to happen. I was like, I need you guys to sign it today. And then you take the formula and then I'll just process it and transact it tomorrow. Okay. Mm-hmm. But we're, we're not going to let a child go home. Yeah. That's for sure. That's not what we're going to do. So figured out a way around it. And hmm, I, I wonder what I would have done had it been expired. 
Because ah, I knew I had leeway. Yeah. So I like to think I would have, I would have made something happen one way or another. Could have been an easy announcement, but you know, sometimes egos, right? People embarrassment. Mm-hmm. They might feel some sort of way about having to be in that position to begin with. So mm-hmm. a lot of times you see people want to keep it quiet, mm-hmm. right? And I, I don't know whether our society kind of promotes that, you know, like, hey, I, I don't want to be embarrassed, so please don't say anything out loud about me needing this help. But I think help should be a part of our society. Like, it should be natural for you to want to seek help mm-hmm. if you need it. Yeah, and I think people struggle with the balance between wanting to get help and not wanting be, to be perceived as a charity case. Mm-hmm. I think that's something mm-hmm. I struggle with all the time is asking for help. And I think there's different ways of going about it. I'm personally, and not saying that people don't have good intentions when they do this, I'm not going to put my situation out on social media mm-hmm. and you know ask for it that way. But for some people, that's your best chance of getting as many eyeballs on that message as you can. Right. You see like plenty of those with like people asking for like kidney donations and stuff like that. Like you're trying to reach a mass group of people in a very quick mm-hmm. manner, right? But if it's something that's localized or you know uh, isolated to you, mm-hmm. I can see like why would I why would I blast that into a public forum? I, yeah, I think that's a good distinction you just made. Is is it something you really can just handle on your own? And you're looking for maybe just a little motivation, maybe a little kick to the kick to the behind. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's shift gears for a minute, if you don't mind. Please. Uh, by the way, that that statement was made on ESPN by LeVar. Oh, well, it wasn't made by him. It was made by the host. She said, you mind if I shift gears with you? And his response was, I don't. All right. He said, uh, I don't mind if you shift gears with me. Or no, you can shift gears with me anytime. Oh, yeah, I remember saying. that. I remember you that. You shift gears with me And anytime. that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back because it got taken in a different way than he was maybe intending to. How do you get context in a lighthearted moment that says it has a sexual nature? It's tough. It's yeah. tough. You got to be really careful with it. Like, what if a male host would have said that to that male guest? Would would there still have been a sexual context in it? Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. But I'll tell you what I did. The first thing I did was I just started reaching out to some of my good girlfriends. And I was like, hey, how do you take this? How do you perceive this? And again, because I'm a male, I I can only look at it from my point of view. So I wanted to see how they were talking about it. So you've got to, one, make sure you've got good people with good reputations that you can lean on. Mm-hmm. And okay. you value you value their opinion because if it's a faulty person and faulty reputation and they're kind of shady, I don't know how much I want to listen to your opinion. You know, ooh, that's a tough one. So when me and my buddies had the conversation, the first thing that came out of my my thought process was he should take her to court and do a civil suit, defamation or something around there. Well, in that sense, he got banned. He can no longer come on mm-hmm. ESPN. Now he is a he is the type of individual that you might need to take with a grain of salt. Like he does, kind of he's abrasive, right? Yes, <clears throat> and I think he's very smart in the way he markets himself right. because he can say some what could be perceived as out there statements, 
But again, he also knows he's on a big platform. He's mm-hmm. trying to get him and his sons into the league and promote their brands. And be, yeah. they were really trying to become a brand themselves, right? right. The Ball family. Mm-hmm. And it, because he was saying outlandish statements like he would be able to still beat MJ. And it's like, come on, my man. It gets people to talk to him. Yes. Right? And I think that's what he wants more than anything. Right. right. Um, now, before he went on ESPN, there was a, another interview that he had done where he basically shunned one of the hosts was just like, I'm not talking to you. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, yeah. And it was a female. So it almost seems like, could this have been, can this be considered retribution for a fellow co-host that kind of caught that same flack from him? Mm-hmm. Was this the opportunity to kind of cut him, cut him off, right? Like, kind of <laughs> get him in a space where, well, this is how we start getting rid of you. This is how we counsel you, right? Mm. Because when you look at the clip, and remember, it's always about context just before and then the context just after, right? Yes. But he was making a statement just before that. He was talking to one of the other hosts, and then he transitioned, still smiling and laughing, to responding to her who interjected in the conversation and said, you mind if I shift gears with you? Uh, you can shift gears with me anytime. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's focus. My question would be, why do women always feel like they're being approached? Because mm. had it been a man, would that man has, would, would another man, I just did it with you. I was just yeah. like, hey, let me shift gears with you. Yeah, no big deal. I didn't say it with as much uh, vigor as he might have said it at the time, but sure. like, if it came from another man, would he have would would he have felt accosted? I think that's the word, right? Yeah. Like, would he had been like you're being sexual towards me? Mm. Right? Interesting. Uh, it's a dangerous it's a dangerous world out there. So there is a article 25 years ago. It was written. It's called. Why men don't have friends and why women should care. Okay. Now, if you can find that article, I haven't found it yet. Um, an older guy I was talking to was the one who told me about this particular article. And he was like, if you find that article, he was like, you read that article and you hold on to it because it explains a lot. The concept is you hear statistics that married men live longer, hmm. right? Now, okay. why would a married man live longer? That's a really good question. What increases or decreases his risk in comparison to a single guy? I think maybe some of it can be attributed to maybe they think he's more sexually active and that, I don't know if that prolongs or shortens. (laughs) If anybody who's married... I'm sure there's going to be some married people listening to this particular podcast, right? That are like, you don't know what you're talking about. They're going to be like, Holy shit, bro. I get way less mushu. That's what we're going to call it, right? I okay. get way less mushu as a married person than I did yeah. when I was single. And it just kind of depends on the, the personality of the, of, of the individual. Sure, sure. But when we ask a question like that, like, hey, how, how is it that you are going to live longer because you're married, right? Mm-hmm. First thought is you're, you become risk, risk averse. You reduce how risky you are. Mm. If you include kids, um, you're probably wanting to stay around for those kids, so you're not going to take as many risky options as you might if you're single. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Gotcha. Um, 
And I think in our modern world, we, we have so many conveniences and we have so much protection available to us. It creates an environment where those statistics don't stand up because most men die before their spouse. Hmm. That's that's what I thought. I thought the right wife was typically across the board would live longer. Mm-hmm. Now, is it is it do they do they live longer because they have less stress, or do they live longer because they have more emotional outlets? Hmm. Could both be true. Could be. Could be. I don't know, that was just a that was a random thought just in my head there. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, I guess um. You can probably uh, point to um, maybe um, if you think of how a traditional house and marriage was formed back in the day, and obviously this isn't so much the case any anymore, but men were typically thought of as the providers. So I wonder if maybe that's potentially where more stress comes from. Not that there wouldn't be any stress from raising children, because there's going to be stresses that come with that. Of course. Um, my opinion would be men don't have the outlets available for them to de-stress and so they bottle those things up and stress is a killer this is known it's almost like a silent assassin Yeah. and if you don't have an outlet for it then you're bottling it up you're causing internal chaos right was it that we didn't have the outlet, didn't know about the outlet, it wasn't as popular to utilize those outlets? Do you think that's maybe some of it too? I think it's a popularity thing because amongst a group of friends, mm-hmm. how often do you think dudes in a group of other dudes get called like, you know, excuse my language, like, oh, you're, <laughs> you're acting like a bitch, <laughs> right? Yeah. When you're just like, man, I'm hurting, you know, like, mm-hmm. how, how does it feel? Can you ask your buddies for a hug? You know, like oh, how can. many how many people are secure in that space? I mean, I can. Yeah, I can go to my buddies and be like, bro, I need a hug. Oh my gosh, she hurt my feelings. I don't know what to do. Uh, like, I can go through that process with them, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of groups, uh, a lot of men out there who don't feel like they can they can be in that vulnerable space, right? And the and the wrong person is going to observe it and take advantage of it. Now you're going to be manipulated or called out of your name, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of spaces where like men are just it's difficult being a dude. It it, it absolutely, <laughs> absolutely can be. It's difficult being a dude. Yeah, and then I think about just growing up playing sports. Mm. If I didn't get to start or I made a bad play or I did something and I'm getting chewed out by a coach. It was only gonna be worse if I ever started crying. Right. About it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! And part of it is, I think, in some of those situations, you probably probably wouldn't hurt to toughen up a little bit. It's tough. It's, it's tough a concept. Like, is that is that a is that a thing? Like, what really makes someone tough? Hmm. Is it maybe the degree of toughness? Is it a kind of a a range, not necessarily a finite thing? I think mm. everybody. I think every human has to have some toughness. Toughness, for the yeah. most part. Mm. I think resolve, right? Mm. Resolve make you tough. That's that's a good one. Grit. Grit, yeah. Because you can come into some challenging situations, and giving up might show that weakness. Um, toughen, 
toughening out is really just like, I'm going to have the resolve to go through this mm-hmm. and you're going to mature through it and, and find more resources to help you get through that particular process. Mm-hmm. So it grows you. And then when you come to a point where you might, you might say, Hey, I, I, I came through, I made it right. Yes. You might want to call it at that point. Yeah. Like you might want to walk away there, but you, you went through the storm already. Yes. Is toughness a combination of perseverance and maybe stubbornness? Yes. Yes, you have to be somewhat stubborn. Um, but you got to be open too, though. Mm. Um, so you, mm. you can be stubborn and you can you can persevere through things. But I think the true essence of an individual's ability to overcome is their adaptability to circumstances. Mm. And that means you got to be open and listen, and flexible women. You got to be ready and acceptable. All those great things, right? Yeah. So I was having an interesting conversation the other day. Um, (laughs) And I got to put it in the right context. The the kind of question was, are you shocked that I'm, I'm still doing what I'm doing? Or are you shocked that I haven't been let go of what I'm doing? That makes sense. So yes. if I've been in an industry for 15 years, are you still are you still shocked I'm still in that industry based off of my personality? Mm. Or are you shocked that the industry hasn't counseled me yet? Mm. Right? Yeah. Because like if you look at like the EEOC, <clears throat> equal opportunity, whatever, whatever that mumble jumble jargon is, sure. uh, ageism is a thing. Mm. Right? Yeah. At what point are you too old for a particular industry? Like, what about our industry? When are, we, when are we too old to be in our industry? Hmm. I think one, not a cop-out, but I think this is going to be a general theme, is you're going to have to kind of take it person to person. Right? Now, if I can maybe switch industries, when would you get too old for something like, let's say, politics? Now, oh, let's talk about that. Let's, let's talk about that because I got an idea. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Lead. My concept is this. There should be age limits and term limits. Uh, yes. Right. I've got a weird conspiracy about Ooh. term limits. Ooh, whenever what, we is want it. It. what is it? So I hear a lot of people myself saying that the founding fathers for being so young and so long ago did a great job of setting up the foundation of our constitution and our nation. And one of the one areas they didn't get it right, in my opinion, was setting up term limits for congressmen and women. I think we're realizing that's a big problem nowadays. What if they knew that was a real sweet gig? What if they had the foresight to know that was where you wanted to be and that's where control was and that the president is more of a public figure and a scapegoat and they intentionally didn't set up term limits? knowing that their family for generations and generations was just going to be able to stay in power. You call that a conspiracy? I'm the only one who I felt has mentioned it, so. Isn't that like, uh, what's that, nepotism? Yeah. Right? Like, isn't isn't that what we see most often, Mm -hmm. that families are connected and still in that political Mm -hmm. room? Um, What What if they knew that it was going to kind of play out like that, and then they could just create generational wealth and job security for their family. I mean, growing up, how often did you hear go towards the politics grind? 
Did anyone ever tell you, hey, go become a politician and start local? Um, I've had several people want me to <laughs> run for some type of office. Why haven't you, though? Um, I, I want to get that. I want to make sure I could really, at, when I first started, my original major in college was political science. Mm -hmm. And then I started learning about some of the benefits, which were they could actually receive and how they were abusing benefits. And at the time, all I cared about was waking up next to those palm trees and chasing around beautiful girls on the campus. Mm. And I thought, mm. if I really want to do politics, I want to do it right and represent the people. Because fun fact about Nicholas, Nicholas is Greek, meaning victory of two or four of the people. Mm. So I felt like I've been destined to be a man of the people. But at the time, I thought if I was going to pursue politics as my original major and stick with it and put myself on, on a different course, mm -hmm. I felt it was almost an inevitability that I would abuse the people's trust. And that's not what I want to get into politics ah, for. So the public eye and its judgment mm. is, yeah. is that space you didn't want to get into and, and actually be seen as uh, immoral. Yes. Uh-huh. Which is really interesting, right? Um, mm -hmm. We forgive politics time and time again. Do we not? Uh, every, we as every, a people. every election cycle. Every election. We, we have short memories. Um, we also do it with business owners. Mm -hmm. right? So let's take a brand mm -hmm. um, and be real careful not to say a brand because okay. that's a good way to you know catch a lawsuit somewhere, right? Of course. But let's take a, a major brand. And let's say you go into their store and you're not happy with the service. Mm -hmm. And you go to Twitter and you go to the social media platforms and you say, hey, the service here sucks, right? But because they're a big brand, you're willing to let it go, though. You'll go back. You'll try again, right? But if you take that same concept and put it to a small business owner, how many small businesses are ruined off of that reputation of that one mistake because they are looked at in a more critical space? Mm -hmm. And I see it. You see it all the time in small businesses. Like I expect a small business to have big brand availability, and mm -hmm. they don't. You're a small business, so I might go in this small business. Let's take a restaurant for instance. Um, I might go and <clears throat> check out their food, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe they mess my order up. Instead of me going to them at that moment and getting it corrected, I go home. I get, I become a, what I call a web warrior, right? And I get on Twitter, I get on the social media, and I dog this business. Mm -hmm. And their response on social media is, we are sorry, we didn't know that this was an issue. Um, give us an opportunity to correct this for you, blah, blah, blah. Now, the question is, what has created the mindset that we don't give people opportunities to correct themselves on the spot? Why is that? Hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you found it. So we were talking about what about society allows it to where it can't be corrected on the spot. Right. I, I think you got to look at it situationally because if it's a small business, maybe they're dealing with a lot of customers at mm -hmm. that current moment. Mm -hmm. So I, it's tough because it's. If they got my food order wrong, technically my order is still incomplete and it's still ongoing, but somebody else has stepped up in line. And me personally, I'm probably not going to want to appear rude, so maybe I'm going to wait or just – then if you're waiting, then maybe your food's getting cold and if you don't get it corrected. I don't know. what. I mean, it's the snowball effect, right? Yeah. Like 
things get off sometimes and to have a well oil machine it's difficult it, it was always challenging to find efficiency mm-hmm. in everything that we're doing so we have to struggle through it initially and once we get a good routine and sometimes it takes a very long time to develop a routine right oh, you might yes. be at a, a location you could have just started a new gig mm-hmm. and it might take you eight months it, it could take you six months to figure out what is going on mm-hmm. in the environment. And then it might take you another two months to start coordinating how you're going to affect that environment. Mm-hmm. And then it might take you another four months to figure out how to get into a routine to work within that environment. Yes. So like a lot of people's first year at their jobs is really just trying to figure out how they fit in, mm-hmm. why they fit in, and then how they can be impactful. Mm-hmm. And that's challenging, right? Because who knows what the actual ask is until people figure out what the skill set is. And once I figure out what your skill set is, I know what to ask you then, right? Because uh, now gotcha. I see that, hey, notice you're, you're really good with information. Mm-hmm. And how do you be having this information? How do you always know what's going on in this environment? Oh, you're that type of guy. You're the mm. you're the individual who likes to walk around, talk, listen, observe, and now you know what details are, are happening where. So if someone comes and asks you that question, you're the knowledge guy now, right? It's like, hey, go ask this person because they know. Mm-hmm. They always know because they're listening, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think like, so I applied for a job years ago. Um, I tried to get into a secure location as a janitor. That was my that was my 100% goal. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I was like, yo, I want to go be a janitor and I want to go do it at this location. Okay. Because I was smart enough to know like if I got in there as a janitor and anybody decided to have a conversation with me, they would find out all the other stuff that I could be potentially What else is in the toolcase? Right, right. So that toolbox is um is is a critical point. I did not get that job. I actually got beat out by a retiring master sergeant. Um, who was coming out of the military. It was going to be a retirement gig for him. We had the same clearances, but we had the different backgrounds. And he was more aligned with um, facilities, maintenance, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Whereas I was just shooting my shot in the dark to try to become that person. Yep. You were talking about you were just shooting your shot, trying for that gig, didn't end up getting it. Didn't end up getting it, man. I really wanted it to. Because I still had my clearance and stuff at the time. And I just thought it would be an ideal space to be in and have the right conversation with the right person. Mm -hmm. And bam, there you are doing the right job. Did you know a person you were going to seek out or just kind of let it unfold naturally? Mm -hmm. This was all on the fly. Um, I just saw an opportunity. And, you know, I think think back on it. Universal law. I'm I'm a subscriber, right? Mm -hmm. You're... You're not put in the space that you're not supposed to be in at the time that you're supposed to be in it. You're always going to be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there doing what you're supposed to be doing. Because it's a part of your divine um, protocol, you know? So I didn't get into that space because it wasn't part of my divine protocol. Wasn't part of the plan. Wasn't. Okay. Yes. Interesting. So... How much cooperation does an individual have to have to make sure that plan's staying on track? I think, and we, we got to really take take that into consideration when we say cooperation, right? Mm-hmm. Every person should be 
attempting to be collaborative in every space, mm-hmm. especially with themselves, themselves, right? You have to be collaborative with yourself. So a lot of people would put out resistance and give resistance because they believe they want to go do something else. Mm-hmm. When if you have enough essay situational awareness, you can recognize opportunities that are coming towards you because you are paying attention. Okay. Right. And a lot of people cut off that paying attention because they're so focused on what they want, but they're not paying attention to what's coming to you. Hmm. And things come to you on a regular basis. Things come to pass. Hmm. And if you're not focused or paying attention, you're going to miss the opportunity. Okay. That actually helps me out a tremendous bit because I feel like I've had good situational awareness mm-hmm. all my life, and I haven't been able to put a finger on like the best way to describe it, but I was just describing it as I can kind of see when I'm in a situation, I can see life and events start unfolding before they even take place. And mm-hmm. it, I felt it was like, for lack of a better terminology, whatever situation you're in, having a pulse of that moment in that situation and knowing that if this person does that, or if this happens here, most likely B, C and D are probable reactions that can occur. There's a chance that wild cards could happen, but it's until that wild card presents itself, I'm going to focus my stuff on what I think is the most possible outcome and likely to happen. And again, it's like you see stuff unfolding before it even happens. You can. Yeah. I can see that a lot. It happens a lot in traffic. Like when you, when you see cars ahead of you and you can see how the traffic's flowing, mm-hmm. I can kind of reasonably predict what most cars and stuff are going to be doing. Yeah. Somebody, somebody used that. Uh, is that a metaphor or analogy? Well, maybe a little bit of both. A little both. Um, the other day we were, we were having like a little quick meeting and it was like, you know, if you're driving in your car and you're looking right at the hood, your, your vision is narrow. Mm-hmm. Or you're stuck and focused on the review mirror and you only see the things, the objects that are behind you, mm-hmm. right? But if you get your vision out ahead of you and you're looking in distant, you get a broader scope of view of what's going on and what you're driving into, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, I think life is like that. When we narrow our focus, we get the blinders mm-hmm. and we can't see those opportunities that are happening out here and just outside of our scope. You know, and those opportunities are constantly going on. And if we have enough um, understanding, right, some wisdom Mm -hmm. to kind of look left and look right every now and then, check left, check right, and not focus on that review mirror, because a lot of times we get caught in the past. And then if we project our vision out forward, we start to see different opportunities ahead of us. And so now we're navigating better. And now I'm kind of looking left and looking right, and I can see that hey, you know what? I see this thing coming up on the right here. It's going to be in my Ford vision soon. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should pay attention to that. Yes. And whatever that is could be your next opportunity or development or growth moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think often we get stuck on what we're supposed to be doing, what we think we're supposed to be doing, instead of just allowing the universal um, impact to occur. You know, mm-hmm. you got to pay attention to it. Yeah, Absolutely. If there's a car driving in the very right lane and they're going 60 and then a car 
couple paces, hundred thousand yards back, it's in that same lane, and they're going eighty. There's going to need to be an action that occurs to pre- prevent a major wreck happening. Speed up or slow down. Yes, and chances are they'll come on over a lane, and if I'm in that lane, depending on how I'm approaching that car going sixty, I may get to a point where that car has to like cut in between both of us and put three cars at a potential risk. Do I need to put my foot on the brake a little bit, switch lanes a little bit? You know what's interesting? I think, are you, are you familiar with racing and like slipstreams and how aerodynamics might aid in your ability to actually go faster? Have you ever seen the movie, um, Talladega Nights. Oh, yeah. And you know how they used to set each other up? Yeah. Are you talking about like drafting off of people? Yeah, yes. drafting, right? So um, I like people getting into my lane, mm. right? If you're going faster than me, mm-hmm. I want you to get over in front of me. Yes. Right? And I'm going to try to get right on your tail, and I'm going to like, I'm, I'm going to ride your slipstream, mm-hmm. right? And then we're going to set it up for the, the, the slingshot. Right. That, that's I think that's what they call it. On yes. Talladega night. We're going to set it up for the slingshot because at some point I'm going to get enough of that information from your slipstream. Mm. It's going to make me propel for. And that's when I go for the slingshot move. And now I'm coming back around you. Mm-hmm. And it's OK to pass people and it's OK yes. to be passed. I think it's very beneficial to be that person that is creating a slipstream for somebody else to get some momentum and then come past you. And you can always alternate. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're in the right group or you're in the right environment or setting, you can always alternate who's the one leading and who's the one trailing. Right. Yes. And it's OK to trail. Absolutely. It's OK to get somebody in your slipstream. It's OK to have somebody that you're following. Right. Mm-hmm. But just getting that availability to download that information or get that extra dynamic stability so that you can propel for it. I think that's the only way to live. Yeah, I think it's smart. And you've got to know when it's okay to hey this car right now they they need to be ahead they need to be ahead of me i'm going to sit back draft catch as much information feel out the course and then i'll get my better idea of when it's my time to Mm -hmm. start moving around you don't always have to be in the lead you don't always have to be the one bringing up the rear for sure you don't have to gatekeep not everything is a gatekeeper moment no i think we should be gate openers yeah, why not? Open the floodgates, bro. Yes. And, you know, a couple of people will drown, right? It's byproduct. There's yeah. going to be some drownings that occur. Yes, we're, we're never going to be able to. That's one thing, and I understand when you present a really good idea. And I understand you want to suss out that idea and test it. But when people present worst-case scenarios or a bad scenario that's inevitably going to happen, it's kind of like, Look, if you're asking me to create a perfect system, I'm going to come up short every time. I'm going to come up short every time. There's no such thing as perfection. Yes, we're, we're going to do the best we can. We're going to be open to change and new ideas. If somebody presents something that looks like a really good idea, we're going to test it out and try it. But if you're asking me how do I save everybody from drowning, the unfortunate reality is some people are going to drown. So with our with our current state of affairs in, in the world, mm-hmm. And we started looking at uh, China growing as a threat to the international uh, world platform. We have the Ukraine event going on. Um, We have economies that are slowing. We are going into recessions in certain areas. Mm -hmm. My question would be, 
based off of fear, because media is based off of fear. Sure. Right? Yeah. Based off of fear, what should people be preparing themselves for themselves for in the next two to three years? Hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Ooh. Yeah. I think a big thing that all people should be able to prepare themselves for and start really figuring out is how to get themselves food if they couldn't just go down to the local grocery store. Mm. Mm. So how do you feel about prepping then? I think it's smart. Mm -hmm. I don't think you need to be, I don't want to go overboard with it. What's overboard? Hmm. When I hear about people who are getting hundreds, maybe thousands of jars of food and grains and stuff like that, and just a bunch of rounds of ammunition, ammunition, all of that stuff, and what you would think of traditional prepping, Mm -hmm. at a certain point, myself, I start to think, God, if it's going to be that bleak of an outlook, I'm, I'm not sure I want to be around in the world anyways, you know? We talked about this in our first conversation. If I'm not going to be able to have a bunch of good people around me, I'm not sure I care one way or another too much about uh, prolonging sure. it, you know? So do you think when people are in that prepping mindset that it's, it's just a selfish thought? Like, it's like, how do I survive? Hmm. Now, maybe there is some communal aspect to it, is that maybe they're trying to look out for everybody else. Not not everybody, but as many people as they can look out their close group and their community. I think that, like, and, and I like to say I think because this is all just opinion-based, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just some critical thinking. I think the way to survive in those scenarios, uh, like you said, hey, you know, you got to figure out how to do provisioning of food. I think community is the only way you do survive. Right. But it feels like so many of us are going to go down to, I'm just here for me and my family. I think that initial response is going to be, you know, me, 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 right? Like, how do I survive? What do I need to do? How do I get this? Like, the reality of it is, if I had a, a true community and you know, uh, we have people who know how to garden. Mm-hmm. We immediately start gardening if we weren't already doing that. If I know that I have four to five um, community members who know how to hunt, yes, then now we teach everybody else how to hunt. It, right? it would kind of be crazy how quickly, almost out of necessity, people would have to give up the vegan lifestyle that weren't prepared, weren't prepped. True. True, because it takes time for things to grow, right? Yeah, if, if, if you and I go out and we kill a deer, it, it might be a few hours before we're able to start putting that meat into our bodies. Mm-hmm. But if we're going to be, if Nick and Dion are just going to be hard set on that vegan lifestyle and then, boom, apocalypse, walking death scenario happens, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a while till we get our rose of lettuce going. It's going to be a while. There's a great book series. It's uh, 11 books so far in the series. It is called um, The Going Home Series. Mm -hmm. And it is written by a American who, if you do the Audible book, they actually do the character voices and everything. But it's a great concept. And the great, what's so great about it is the main character was a prepper. And shit hit the fan. Mm -hmm. And he was over 200 plus miles away from home. Right? So his, his, 
homestead was his sanctuary. Mm. But he did everyday EDC with everyday carry. Uh, so he was prepared in that sense that he can grab a bag, he had a go bag, he was ready and set up for that scenario. And he had to trek, like walk home, 200 miles. Mm-hmm. And it, that book carries forward so many different concepts. And I, I highly encourage everybody to just kind of like, if you get the actual physical copy, great. But listen to the Audible, because the Audible has the character voices that you can feel the emotion behind what they're going through. Mm-hmm. Um but the, the basic concept here, and I don't want to give too much away if anybody is interested in, in checking this out, you have civil unrest immediately, right? And then you have facets of the government are fighting each other within our national space. So, for example, we'll say that the FBI is maybe trying to be the law of the land and they're not so much worried about um, the CIA or the DEA and they're not really worried about like, hey, we're handling our own branch and sometimes we'll cross paths and work together. Now it's just about we're the FBI. We see a a power vacuum happens, right? It's almost like um, it seems like that's been going on a lot lately in international territories is some of the leaders have been killed, died, and then That's the, um, I think you wonder sometimes is, hey, this ruler, this president is bad, but sometimes the grass ain't always greener on the other side. He's bad, right. but wait till you see their their kin come behind them. The alternative. Yes. Ooh, yeah. I always find it interesting, like, think about America and, and its availability and um, how civilians currently interact with each other. And I, I say civilians, I just mean the, the civilian population, right? Mm-hmm. What would happen in an environment where martial law becomes the daily and citizens are trying to figure out where they're going to get their next meal? That takes us back to the Great Depression of the 1900s, where like 1917, we had people really literally eating just potatoes Mm. because that's what they could get, right? Um, What happens in a world of convenience like what we currently have when now you might not eat for three or four days? Uh, you don't have a local grocery store to go to. Uh, your money isn't valued anymore. It doesn't have any uh, standing power. What do you do when the school is now closed and you and your family element are stuck in a house that no one's coming to collect the mortgage on mm-hmm. because the banks have problems? It would get real wild because it seems like more often than not in this world where media and technology are constantly becoming more ingrained in our lives. And we seem to be more emotionally reactive than logically and rationally reactive. And it seems like if you can just be 10% less emotionally reactive, it seems like you've got a great chance to really go places because everybody else is getting caught up in their own little BS and the minutiae of stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think in a situation like kind of a walking dead apocalyptic scenario, like we're talking about, I think community is the only way that you would survive because what you were talking about earlier is if we look at everybody as a tool, maybe you're a hammer, maybe I'm pliers, 
if it's just Nick and Dion trying to go with that, eventually we're going to come across a scenario where we need a screwdriver. We need a crescent wrench. You yes. know, we need a cat claw to get some nails out. And I think that those scenarios, we'd get so focused on just trying to get ours mm-hmm. that it feels like we're almost our egos manipulating us to where we need to get rid of people, but it's probably in our best interest to keep most of them around and close by. Ah, so that leads, that, that leads to a couple of things then. Let's start off with 21 questions, shall we? We shall. <laughs> Question number one. Mm-hmm. If you had the opportunity, how are we on time, by the way? Uh, we're five minutes short of an hour. Oh, okay, great. Um, if you had the opportunity today to choose to start prepping for an apocalyptic tomorrow, mm-hmm. um, become a wealthy person overnight, mm-hmm. or develop a family, which one would you choose? I'd like to go towards the family. That's what mm-hmm. I think I'd most likely go towards. That one has the most value to you? I think so, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. All right. <laughs> Do you think... If we value the family, then does the family element offer all of the mechanisms to be in a wealth wealthy state? Hmm. It'd be tough. It feels like it would be tough because, as you naturally, I forgot where we were again. Nah, it doesn't matter. So like. We, we have good conversations. It's, it's not going to be. Yeah, it's not going to be like a, a 21 questions. I just use that as a segue into oh, the next step. Speaking but, of 21 questions, mm-hmm. real quick, and I'm only noticing because I see 22. Oh. What do you think of Taylor Swift's last album? I, I, I don't. I don't think of it. Mm. I haven't heard it. It's all right. It's all right. Yeah, lyrically, <laughs> lyrically it's good, but I... I had to start doing this more often in life is trusting my instincts. Yeah. Because I got caught with this with um, one of uh, Quentin Tarantino's Hateful Eight movies. Okay. Uh, it was a Hateful Eight. And yeah. after I saw it, I saw the premiere of it. And I, one, you got to manage your expectations in life. Don't let them get too out of whack. Because mm-hmm. if your expectations are too high, chances are something's not going to live up to it. And you may not even be able to appreciate a really good moment. So I let my expectations get a little out of whack. But as soon as the movie ended, I was like, I'm going to be honest with you. And I was thinking, I didn't like it. Mm. Didn't think it was good. And then me and my friends and our family are talking about it. And they're all like, oh, that was a really good movie. That was really good. W- what do you think I said? Yeah, it was probably okay. I loved it. I loved it. It was great. I loved it. It was great. <laughs> you agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't like it, right? Yeah, exactly. Because I wanted to get in that group thing and be accepted and stuff like that. And I should have just been like, I'm going to be real with you. Didn't like it. Wasn't uh, feeling it. Not yeah. good. Fuck the group. And that's where I'm at with this <laughs> new Taylor Swift album is yeah. because I think a lot of people want to get... And they may genuinely like it. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Lyrically, I thought it was one of her best albums. The rest of it, hot garbage. Didn't like it. Oh, not like the hot garbage. The hot garbage. Yeah. Now, I will say one of her albums I listened to earlier in my days, mm-hmm. wasn't a big fan of it, and then re-listened to it, got into a different place in my life, different mindset. You evolved. Yeah. Was able to appreciate it. So... I'm going to go back to it. It's almost like Kanye for me. Mm, That's recent music. 
I'm I'm not really sold on, but his older music though, I still vibe to. Yeah, the college dropout was great. Oh my gosh, some of his early stuff, and yeah. I still think lyrically, mm-hmm. he's one of the best to ever do it. And so, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. And this is, I found out that I'm not down with a lot of musicians, mm-hmm. specifically in the rap game, from New York. Because mm. I don't like the beats. I'm not a big fan of when Biggie and like Nas Illuminati album. Lyrically, oh. it's hard to it's hard to mess with it. Lyrically, it's hard to mess with it. But what these ears hear, I'm like, I can't do the beats. Can't can't keep. I, I don't like it. I can see that. I can see that. But lyrically, it's like, my God, you you wonder why when you're listening to so many rap songs, how a lot of artists have him in their top five. So that's kind of how I felt about the West Coast vibe, mm. right? Like lyrically, I I can I can kick it with them. Some of their musical, uh, like the instrumentals and stuff, I, I eh, you know I can vibe with it. But funny that you say the New York vibe doesn't do anything for you because it's a their music is like a trigger, mm-hmm. a lot, especially in the rap space, right? Yeah. Where you hear a certain song, like if we take like. Um, like, I don't know, like Cameron, or if you take like a Nas song or something. And it's, it's kind of oh, that that's, vibe. That's a name. Not many people, I think. Like Cameron? Cameron. Oh, man. Dipset? What? <laughs> Dipset? Dipset? They, they had a run, right? But like, you listen to a lot of the instrumentals behind the, the lyrics, and it's, it's kind of like an aggressive sound. Mm. It's an aggressive tone, right? And then you come to the South, and it's like a party tone. Mm-hmm. Right, you go out west. It's supposed to be like a low riders and, and bass, like chill. So that is kind of cool. How each, like geographically, they kind of take on their a life of their own. And it's funny because again, when I'm listening to West Coast West Coast rap when they were in their heyday with with Pac and Snoop Dogg and uh, you got Dre coming up making the beat. Yeah. There were times where I thought it's like. If Big Ear Nas could just get on this track and just let the lyrics. You know, a great sample to, to see that distinction between the two is Bone and Biggie did a, 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 a song and then Pac and Biggie did a song. Mm-hmm. And when you listen to the difference between them and you got like Biggie's like, um, it's Bone and Biggie, Biggie, it's Bone and Biggie, we gonna ride, get high, get mm-hmm. high. Get hot. And then he comes in, oh, man, dangerous. Can't too many niggas bang with us. And it's like, okay, that's kind of like, it's it's a step flow. Like, it's kind of like, okay, then, yeah, right? But then it's, um, when you hear Tupac's version, mm-hmm. and it's like, Pac and Biggie, um, and it's been a while since I listened to the Pac and Biggie one, but it's just kind of like a, the flow behind the Pac and Biggie, and I'm trying to recall the lyrics here. If I had to choose between the two and I had to go to war, mm-hmm. I would go to war with Pac and Biggie yeah. because of the sound, the aggressiveness mm-hmm. in that particular lyrical battle versus um, Biggie and Bone, where it's just kind of like a, a cool ass vibe to just kind of like, yeah, I can rock to that. And that's why I remember the lyrics so easily with the Biggie one, but I can hear the the war drums going off in the Tupac and Biggie. I mean, I'm Tupac and uh, Bone. Mm-hmm. So it's funny we talk about flow because some of the greatest rappers that have started coming up, 
I feel like sometimes their flow is so good that it doesn't mesh with the beat. Mm. And that really gets juxtaposed for me when I listen to Outkast. Okay. Three stacks, no matter what song, it feels like he's always just riding those wavelengths. Whereas, um, whereas it doesn't sound that way, you know, with Big Boy all the time. It feels like he's almost gotten off beat, but I'm not musically or lyrically inclined. I'll tell you another example of that where it felt like he was just off beat and it wasn't flowing. Wasn't super fond of the Black Panther soundtrack with Kendrick. Okay, so Kendrick is what I was going to spill out when you said the the, the lyric, lyricist doesn't match the flow of the beat. Yes, Kendrick him and Big Sean. Good... Now, Big Sean's a different... He, he is a different breed. Okay. There's, there's a different conversation behind Big Sean. Sure. So if, if we had to look at lyrical flow with instrumental vibe, like J. Cole is a great example of lyric flow. Yes. Over good instrumentals, mm-hmm. like good sound behind him. Kendrick, I think, outpaces his sound sometimes. Yes. Yes. Right? Gosh, I'm so um, glad you said that. I thought I was going crazy. When we go back to like Andre 3000, for instance, it's kind of one of those things where Andre has a, a natural harmonic sound just in himself. Mm-hmm. Like, even when you hear him talking, it's more of a, like a, hey, yeah, you know, this is this super cool, relaxing, conversational. He's talk, so right? chill. Right? I've gotten to meet him. But Big Boy is a, he has a fast tempo. He's a speed rapper mm-hmm. for the most mm-hmm. part, right? And so when we start looking at it, and I, I love music, by the way. Yes. <laughs> I love music. Um, when we start listening to music, there's times I can, I can literally go deaf on the lyrics. I don't even hear them. And all I hear is just the sound. Mm. And if the sound is good for me, then I can vibe with the music. Like I can, I can literally like Tribe Called Quest is like one of my favorite, right? Because it was always like a imagine a live band behind a rapper. That was that changed the game. Mm. Like, and I don't think a lot of people respect that space that they exist in. But when you have Q-Tip is a good example. This guy was rhyming over live instrumentals. You gotta have a real skill there. Yes, that's a real art. Right, but if we go into the studio and we do something, just like you recording right now, you can kind of sync up mm-hmm. the the lyrics and the music if there was music behind us. Yeah, you can change how that flow comes out. Um, I think rap was initially supposed to be storytelling, and I think we've gotten away from telling the stories of the community that is impacting. Mm. Now every like we're an international community now. Everything is so easily accessible. So now we're trying to talk about everything. Mm-hmm. But like when you go back to that localized sound, you start to hear you start to hear the stories again that you can relate to because that's that's the community that you kind of grew up in or you mm-hmm. were around. Uh, the war, the the warring of the the East and West Coast during the '90s. Um, personally, I think that was it was a marketing ploy and it was. Um, Music industry elites trying to create more momentum and changing the narrative of what rap was. Because mm. if we look at the 80s, storytelling, uh, hardships, you know, hey, pay attention, overcome this. We had cats like, um, oh, his name escapes me. Oh, my gosh. 
I can see his face. It is horrible that I can see his face and can't think of his name. But anyway, we had a lot of people that were really trying to enlighten a group of people, mm-hmm. right? That were They were trying to transition into that space. Whereas now it's kind of like, I don't really understand the lyrics. Like, I, I don't really understand what the story is behind a lot of modern music. So I don't really listen to newer, newer artists. Yes. So one of my favorite genres is country music. And oh, okay. me, my good girlfriend and I have been talking about some of these country musicians that are coming up now or just telling their authentic story and talking about like their community that they're going through. And it's not just for lack of a better, better phrasing pandering. But they're um, they're actually coming up with some creative, unique lyrics, and it's not just a typical "Oh, I'm with a blonde hair, blue eye girl, we're gonna go down to the river." And yeah. don't get me wrong, I'm a junkie for all that stuff. But every now and then, it is nice to hear. That's why when I really started listening to rap, and then Kanye came along with the college dropout and stuff like that. That was really different. Is it felt like he was speaking to a specific community? <laughs> it does. Uh, uh, in 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 Nebraska, music is for that purpose. It's mm-hmm. so that you can assimilate, if you will, to what it is that that individual is feeling at the time that they produce whatever it is that you're listening to. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason I, I kind of vibe with instrumentals more is because I feel like the sound and the frequencies that are created behind instruments can change the nature of your mood. Mm. So I am heavy on instrumentals, whereas if I start listening to lyrics, you start hearing words, words are spellbinding, right? This is, the English language in itself is mm-hmm. spellcasting. And if you know how to command language, then you know how to command people, right? I, so I was just going to ask if that's where you're going. Is It's almost like telling you how to think. It is a little bit. You have to protect yourself. Mm. Um, we we've heard of all these cases where it's like, oh, the music made me do it, blah blah blah. Now don't get me wrong. You people are influential, right? You can be influenced, yes, through process of repetitiveness. And when I hear a certain thing always being spewed, I might take that on as a personal concept. Mm. So if you don't have the right protectors or blocks or guards in place, then you can be impressed upon to go and react or respond to something mm-hmm. that it might not be happening. We look at the news all the time. If you go and watch the news and something happens in California, you might respond to something that's happening in California, but you live in Georgia. Mm-hmm. How is that your problem? Mm-hmm. You're not in California, but you will feel it and you will internalize it and you say, we, we need to go support this thing. Yes. And that's what they do with the media all the time. So if you think about what music does, mm-hmm. music puts you in a space of realization you become a part of what that conversation is because there's songs that i can listen to right now that will trigger me like get me hyped Mm -hmm. right and i'm a pretty calm dude yes so if i can listen to that particular song maybe it's not best for me to listen that early in the morning Mm -hmm. maybe it's not best for me to listen to that when i know i have um some conflict coming up right because that will hype me up for the conflict and now we got a whole problem yeah see what i'm saying Mm -hmm. so music music moves the soul, right? And when we talk biblical, what was the thing that the devil had um, power over? Music. 
mm. sound, which tells you that like there's a there's a lot of availability there to to impact on a mass level, and that's why we sort of we're so taken aback by our our artists because those things move us. It makes you feel a certain way. You you listen to the right country song, and you're gonna be in the right type of mood. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting. I started to notice that about myself as how big of an impact music can have on my mood and my emotional availability and mm-hmm. just where mm-hmm. I'm at. So you've got to really make sure if you want to get in the right type of mindset that music matches it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, driving up here was rainy and I kind of was almost in a reflective and appreciative mood, you know? Okay. So that's probably not the right time for me to just blast crime mob, knock if you buck, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, let's be honest. There's never a bad time to blast crime mob, knock if right, you buck. Right, 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 right. Or get a little goody mob in there. Yeah. And get into some things. Oh man, whenever I hear goody mob, it just, uh, I go back to the T.I. lyric off topic. Bumping goody mob, so, so, number four. <laughs> yeah, it is. Man, music music is a whole conversation. Did you yeah. ever watch the, um, it was a, I guess a musical about, I forget which war it was, but it was done, like, the only music they used were um, Beatles songs, and it's called Across the Universe. Never, never. And, and this one guy has this line, um, it's kind of a real somber mood at this point, and I, I guess there's just disaster going around, and he had a line that said, music is the only thing that makes sense. Mm. Mm, makes me I, I always mm. think and reflect on that line music is the only thing that makes sense I can see that we, we're, we're going to have to reserve that for uh, a day because I, I go across the spectrum when it comes to music I, I do too and I think that's important yeah we mm-hmm. should definitely have a music conversation one day because mm. I, I think you'll you'll be shocked right you'll be shocked and I think a be- the best way to know someone Understand what their catalog is, what they listen to. In terms of music? or mm-hmm. oh, Okay, I didn't in know terms you were of music, talking about another type of catalog. Oh, no. Uh, in terms of music, like, you know, what's on your playlist? And, and so back in the day, like when I was in high school and stuff, mm-hmm. playlists were extremely important. I have so much music on, my, like, my hard drives now um, that you'll be amazed and you'll be like, yo, that playlist does not match what I see in the person, Right. But if you dive into a person's playlist, you can tell where their ups and downs are. You can tell what they use for motivation. You can tell what they like to use to, to mellow them out, to bring them down to their mm-hmm. depressive state. If you pay attention to what people are digesting digesting most of the time, it can give you a kind of like a looking glass into, in, into like what their life is like and why their life is that way. Mm-hmm. I just listened to, I believe it was... The Wall Street Journal's Tech News, a little fifteen-minute podcast, mm-hmm. and they were talking about Spotify Wrapped and how um, Spotify, at the end of every year, basically gives you a rundown of what music you listen to, what was the most popular, and they were saying that it's kind of cool because one, Spotify has figured out a way to collect data, but it's not super creepy mm-hmm. about how they collect data. I mean, it depends on how you look at Get it. The algorithm, yes. And people were able to just kind of see how they progressed over the years because I think a lot of times music and emotion, they kind of go hand in hand in lockstep. It's, it does. It, it seems – it's very tough for me to listen to a song and not want to take on the energy and the mood of that song. You know, It's impossible. It, 
Right. Because mm-hmm. again, I was in a reflective mood and stuff. And so I didn't necessarily want to listen to rap or real upbeat stuff, just kind of cool, slow flowing acoustic type stuff mm-hmm. today. And weather also impacted that too. So I think I think human beings are fluid, right? Oh, absolutely. We, water has memory, and I think humans are associated heavily with how water would, would be in, in nature. It can Bruce Lee said it, right? Water it can it can flow or it can crash, right? And as it goes over things, it molds those things. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if I think about uh, blood, for instance, and I'm not trying to get deep here. I'm just saying, like, in general, um, if you look at water, water has ripple effect, effects when you add a sound to it, right? Mm-hmm. And depending on the sound, those ripples change. Even the pattern of those ripples change, right? So if if I'm mostly made of water and I have blood flowing through me and I'm hearing certain sounds and those sounds are vibrating through me and impacting me, it's going to change the nature that I'm currently presenting to you. It's going to change how I feel, what I feel. Um, then we start impacting our, our mindsets and our thought processes. Almost like you're taking the shape of the container. Right. Like, Almost taking the shape like of the container. Like water or liquid wood. Like, like water or liquid wood. So if we're fluid as, as human beings, we have to be very guarded. Like we really need to guard what impacts us. Like, you come in, like you're in my home right now and there's this mellow gray. Right. Like we want to stay in a calm space. Mm. Right. Um, there's not a lot of background noise going on. So it's a quiet space. Mm. But there's three kids in the house right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's it's important to understand for yourself what impact things have on you. And that's everything. what your trigger points are for trigger points. Yeah. yeah. You can okay. say trigger points. Um, if I want to be hyped up. I know for a fact I go play Tupac's They Don't Give a Fuck About Us mm-hmm. and I'm going to be triggered. And all day I'm going to be like hyped and I'm going to be like, okay, you know, I'm, wait, I'm waiting for somebody. Mm-hmm. Like I'm waiting for it. Like I'm, I'm ready now, right? Yes. Music does that. War cries don't do that, right? Um, cadences do that. Like when we think military, in the military space, uh, they train to cadence. They train to, to march in cadence. They train to uh, war drums, have war songs. Where, like, why? Why Psychologically, what does that do for you? You're trying to hype somebody up to go get into something, right? Mm-hmm. We do the same thing to ourselves internally when we're riding in our cars before we get to work. Depending on what we listen to, it's how we're going to act that, that initial first two, three hours at work, right? Yes. You can tell when somebody came in all, all the way live. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nothing can stop me. I'm all the way up. I'm all the way up. <laughs> yeah, I um, I've got my next set coming up on Tuesday for mm-hmm. comedy, and it's oh, kind of right. kind of like a little routine. Is I've got this one playlist called Confidence Builder. Mm. And What's one of the songs on it? Uh, the number one song on it is Ed Sheeran's Eraser. Hmm. And it's, okay. It's pretty dope, and that, and honestly, this song called From Now On. From the Greatest Showman, mm-hmm. it starts out very. It's got a piano intro, and then it starts building. It starts building. Mm-hmm. Either that, one of those two songs is my bucket list is to for comedy. Is That's to, your hype song. Yeah, is to perform at Sprayberry High School and be able to whatever I make off ticket sales, 
hmm. match it, and then donate it to underprivileged areas. Okay. But I'm going to be coming out to either Ed Sheeran's Eraser or From Now On. Ooh, like everybody should have a theme song, right? Like they're yeah. kind of like a hype song? Yeah, kind of like a Kanye Seven in power. I guess you know what, every man? superhero needs a theme song. Yeah. Oh, man should have all that power. Yeah. Oh, I wonder what my theme song will be. Oh, no worries. I wonder what my theme song will be. And I think kind of like if you look at us almost like water and taking the shape of our container, different areas and different venues, I think that would have different theme songs. Oh, that is a good one. Like if I was, (laughs) if I was on tour, I think my theme song would be, I'd want to, let's say if I'm performing in Michigan, I'd maybe want an artist or musician from Michigan to get me hyped up, you know? You know what one of my theme songs would be, I think? What's that? Tell me. Kanye West, Good Morning. Yes. That would probably be like a hype song for me. If I was going to go with any Kanye song, you know what I'm going out to? What? All Other Lights. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That is hard. Yeah, Chameleonaire's actually got a dope little freestyle to that or cover on that. I'll have to shoot that to you. Wow. Yeah, we're going to have to talk about music one day. Now, mm-hmm. now you're kind of like getting into, into those gears, but I'm, I'm going to throttle back from it because that is a, a deeply involved. That's like a personal space, right? Music Absolutely. is like a personal space for me. Um, but that is, that is dope. I never really thought about like what my theme song would be. That's a good thought to, to have. Do like, you think you'd need to pluralize it or do you think you would have to? Because again, we change and stuff. And I talk to you songs. Yeah, because I talked to you about how I didn't like 1989 Taylor Swift album when I first heard it. I don't think I was in an emotional space ready for it. But then I ended up listening to it and it's become one of my favorite albums of hers. So I would want mm. different theme songs. It would be different for different time. venues. It would be. Oh, that would be so much fun. Like I would love to if I'm performing in Miami. I would love to just have come out to a Trick Daddy theme song or something like that. You know, Ooh. or Mr. Worldwide Pitbull versus AKM47 would be a trick. Oh, that would be my trick song right yeah, there. Yeah. Oh man, I, I'd have a hard time not coming out to Let's Go. Okay. Also because I'm very loyal because Let's Go. The hook's got little John on it, and you, you got to stick with A-Town as ah. much as you can. You know what I mean? You know what's interesting? Like, I've never really been into music by people out of out of Atlanta, mm-hmm. right? Like, I remember, like, the first T.I. kind of CD I ever pay, paid attention to was, like, I'm Serious. Mm-hmm. And it was mostly because um, there's a song on there, Never Forgave Myself, or something along those lines, but it was kind of like a song that he did kind of apologizing to his friends, apologizing for like how his space had been. I was like, man, that's a really dope song. Like this dude is literally like, if there could have been something different, I would have did it differently. Right. Mm -hmm. And I would have carried you with me, but instead like, you know, you passed away or whatever. Right. Um, And then of course, listening to T.I. came out strong when he came out initially so there was a lot of songs in that ti space that was just kind of like okay i could feel that hype because i was living in atlanta at that time Mm -hmm. like this is my second excursion into atlanta okay yeah like the first one i was single i was in school like you know i worked at like best buy like Mm -hmm. i was living the good life right um had roommates and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so i think music captures memories for me 
uh, I can associate a lot of memories with songs. And I think that is one of the, the benefits of sound, mm-hmm. right? Because now I can do recall. If I ever hear that song, it's like, man, I remember I did this. I went through this space. Uh, oh, that happened. Oh, man, I remember that like so clearly. That's you know? what the tech reporter on the Wall Street Journals was talking about when she was going through her catalog. She's like, oh, I could see what kind of space I'm in, what I went through, all of that stuff in life. No, no, awesome. right. Look at this little girl. So you blind now? <laughs> it's upside down, um, too. I love it. Yeah. Music. Hmm. Well, let's shift, let's shift one more time before, okay. before we close out. Um, interesting, interesting things that are going on. And so one of, the, one of the questions I have for you, what do you think about the trade with Brittany? Is her last name Reiner? Griner. Griner. Mm-hmm. And the the Russian arms dealer. Um, on the surface, because I can only speak about very surface level stuff because I haven't gotten too deep into the weeds on that one. On the one hand, very glad that she's free and that she's home. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, and this is what I've been talking to a lot of friends about. Do we not currently have a lot of people locked up in this country for similar stuff that we could be letting out? <laughs> do we do we not have people in jail for petty drug charges that we would be able to? So I think that's a really interesting uh, conversation when we start considering legalizing um, certain level one drugs mm-hmm. or what is considered to be like a level two drug or something mm-hmm. like marijuana, for instance. Marijuana has fed the. prison industrial system Mm -hmm. right and it's unfortunate that people exist in that space that you know they might have had like one or two offenses or they were selling this drug and as you legalize it the question then would be should you go back and reassess whether or not those sentences are within reasonable bounds for what what occurred then versus now right because Mm -hmm. then it was illegal so are you serving time under the illegal pre- pretense? And then now that things have changed and mm. society has progressed, yeah. do you now get reassessed at society's progression? Mm. Do you get the opportunity to come out of that space and say, okay, you know, um, I went to jail for this, but, you know, this is legal now. So how do I recover from that? Yeah, because there is a time that I know um, places like Seattle, Washington. Mm-hmm. I think they've, for the most part, decriminalized and even legalized the use of marijuana. But again, it hasn't always been that way. Mm -hmm. So that is an interesting question because at the time, if people are in jail, let's say there's a Mr. X in jail in Washington or trying to sell or just carrying a possession of marijuana, and it's now legal. That's an interesting question. And, hmm, man, I think it's like a it's a it's a dangerous space to go into because I've taken someone that might not have had an expression of further criminal activity mm-hmm. and that was their space that they were in and I put them into a space surrounded by individuals mm-hmm. who had criminal activity. I've hardened you now. Mm-hmm. How do you assimilate back into society with that trauma? And I think one thing that prisons or our prison system does not do well with is addressing 
the trauma that comes from being locked up, mm-hmm. right? And if I let you back out into the world, depending on what space you were in and, and how much trauma you have, um, you can't normalize yourself, right? So I might have been locked up on possessing charges from 1970, right, which um, it is known that our, our justice system has two criteria when it comes to leveling um, punishment, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't go evenly across the board. Our justice system is not just in that sense. So where I might have had, um, let's, let's just be clear, I might have had a Black American, African American, whatever they want to label it at this time, um, who caught a charge off of possession and the judge gave him 15 years. Mm-hmm. And he's been in that prison system for 15 years yeah. off a of simple possession, whereas I might have had a, um, a Caucasian American who caught five years, two of those years were incarcerated, three years probation. There wasn't enough time to truly impact and the trauma mm-hmm. that comes from either of those situations going to be less on one side than the other yeah so then how do i bring you back into society and you've been traumatized by being in this space that's difficult yes and so do i let you out of jail or do i keep you in jail mm. it's tough i am you know back to the Brittany griner thing one i'm just glad she's back and mm-hmm. she's home and uh, especially before the holidays um and I think recently, I think we were trying to get a two-for-one prisoner swap, if I remember. They were trying to get the Marine, Marine, right? Yes. And I think, I could be wrong, so I apologize if I am, but I believe even his family just released a statement and they said that they knew it was probably only going to be a one-for-one swap. So the administration had to do what they had to do. Mm. And that doesn't mean they can't ever come back to the table. Yeah. Um, kind of take that, what's the, the bird in the hand. You know, try and take take that while you can. You know, that's a that the Marine one's a tough one. Uh, yeah, it's that's a tough one. So you're 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 um you were in the service. What's your thoughts on that one? Is it a little uh, tougher because of that for you? It's tough because there are probably some unstated factors mm. behind the Marine, right? Like if, if you were a foreign government and you brought this guy up on these charges and I don't know all of the charges that you brought up and I it's been a while since I read that piece. Mm-hmm. You know, as a foreign government, hey, are you a spy? Are you, are you here under a pretense of collecting information and data? Mm-hmm. Are you infiltrating my society? Like, mm-hmm. why were you in my country to start with? Mm-hmm. And if I remember correctly, there was always caution to traveling to certain places just because you were military. Yes, and it it was a little obviously after the fact, but after Brittany Griner got locked up, I think the WNBA and NBA wrote in a joint statement that if you are going to go over to play international basketball during the off season to stay in shape and whatever you want to do, you need to be cautious about traveling to these particular countries who we don't have the best diplomatic relations with because one, some of their laws are going to be a lot stricter. They're going to be a lot different. Mm -hmm. 
and they're probably going to be more likely to use you as a political pawn than maybe England will say. Right, and it depends on how much exposure you have, right? Mm -hmm. So in that sense, I think, honestly, they should probably cancel foreign leagues. Like, you you should just stop. If you're an American, you should stop traveling abroad to play in a foreign league. Uh, and maybe source some some other income availability, mm-hmm. find some other things to stay in shape. Yeah. Uh, with that marine scenario, I think he put himself in a, a horrible situation, okay. right? And mm-hmm. I, I do hope that there is some effort. I'm sure there will be ongoing effort mm-hmm. to try to um, return him back to his his state. <laughs> And his or his status and his his because uh, it's not just about getting home, it's, right? It's like God forbid if who knows if listening to like a Tchaikovsky symphony is going to put Brittany Griner in a bad space or she even sees right. something like there's a I think a good sitcom on Netflix called Russian Doll. Does that word alone put her in that space? You know, like that that goes back to the the, the trauma that comes from being in, in those environments, right? Um, Everybody's going to be traumatized to some degree. And it's interesting, like, what is the price? What is the price of, of getting retrieved, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you're in the WNBA. You were uh, you had exposure because you were internationally known as a sports or an athlete, right? Um, there wasn't much reason to, to claim conspiracy or, you know, um, what is it called? Uh, espionage in that yes. space, right? you had too much exposure and maybe this was a ticket for someone mm-hmm. to have a conversation, right? That Marine, man. Dude, what were you doing in Russia, bro? Mm-hmm. Like, why? Mm-hmm. Why were you here? Holiday? Somebody failed you if that was the case because you should have been denied travel at mm-hmm. that point, right? I got you, yeah. Yeah, and that's an interesting conversation to have. Right. Yeah, it's, I don't want to touch that one. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> that's a smart and a, probably a, a good way to start closing out. But for sure, man, dude, again, thank you so much for again. I enjoyed it. I'm enjoying it, and uh, looks like uh, you came through again with a quote. You got one you want to? Oh yeah, I got one. On? So uh, this is from. I'm pretty sure he was a first sergeant, retired army. Uh, I started working in Maryland. Can, can I ask a quick question? Go, go for it. If you don't get discharged, if you just retire from a military service, do you say former or I, I don't want to, because I know some of it can be seen as a pejorative. It's not like, is it retired, former, like in terms of saying? I'm not sure. If you were, if you actually retired, mm-hmm. cool. If you are, like in my eyes, like a veteran, for instance, yes. someone who actually saw or went to combat. Okay. Right? Um and and they still they they still exclaim that if you were in service you're considered a veteran mm-hmm. because you were in service even if you never went to a conflict. Um, but that's just my personal opinion about what a veteran status is. It's like hey, you legit got into something and now you exist in that space. I guess I thought um, I heard if um, they were tired and you call them let's say marine for example former marine I thought some of that verbiage could be considered taboo and almost insulting because there was a line I think I heard that you're never a former Marine. Oh, yeah. Or something like that. Did I say former? No, no, no. I'm asking for my civilian purposes to try and be respectful as possible. Nah, I... 
my, my personal opinion on that is just, hey, if I knew you were in, in service and you continue to call yourself mm-hmm. along those lines, like would say, hey, I'm retired or whatever. Mm-hmm. Cool. Like, I'll call you that. I'll still call you Sarge if you want. Like, yeah. Because a lot of people put a lot of pride into that. Yeah, like yeah. Their, their prior service was. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this guy, he was my manager. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he came to me one day and he was just like, you know, he gave me this story. I don't remember the full story. And then he was like, you know, are you getting better or are you getting by? Mm-hmm. Right? And he would ask me this on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And remember, I was the new guy. I was coming in uh, and... You know, I, I when I first come in, it's like a fast tempo because if I can get into that fast tempo, I learn more mm-hmm. quickly and then I integrate faster, right? Like now I take on the principles of what you are trying to express in this environment. I picked it up. I understand it. Now, how can we be impactful, right? Mm-hmm. And he would every day, and it was an instructing, it was applied learning. Um, so I was instructing at the time. And he would always say, are you getting better or getting by? And I'd be like, hey, getting better, sorry. You know, like I, I would say that to him, I'm getting better, sorry, every day. Because it was the goal is to always be getting better. Yes. Right? And do you think it's important to, there's a wide range of how much better you can get, right? It's not just a finite 100% better every day, every day. Some days it may just be marginally better, but that's still improving. It's all about the simplistic level of something. Mm-hmm. If it's marginal, you made some improvement, mm-hmm. right? Did you capture something today? Did you learn something today? Hey, are you able to understand more about where, what space you're in yes. than you were yesterday? Yeah. You didn't hit the snooze button today. You got up right away. Right. Like, that's progress. Yes. Do you think we get caught up looking for the, the three-point shot rather than the simple layup sometimes? If I can use that basketball Man, analogy, listen, we're my, looking we're looking for a touchdown rather than a field goal or just taking points. People, people don't allow people to be human. It's just it's it's lost, man. Like you have to have a certain level of understanding to acknowledge that. Hey, I recognize you're human. Mm-hmm. It's cool, man. It's yeah. all good. Like you don't hit a hundred every time. And who said 100 was the mechanism by which to measure anything? It's an arbitrary number. We just right. It's oh, nice and round. 100 is wholesome. It, no. look, it looks clean. That's why. I think the concept of, are you getting better? Like, are you close to it? Like, maybe 89% today, and then tomorrow you might get 79 But still, though, are you still getting that one extra percent tomorrow? Are you familiar with a book called The Four Agreements? Yes. Yes. The author, I thought, did a phenomenal job in that chapter because the fourth agreement is always do your very best. And he did, did, did a good job of highlighting, I believe the author is a male. Mm-hmm. Um, he is. When you have the flu, let's say, for example, your, your best may not look like, hey, I'm not going to be able to do that workout that I was planning. Your best may just be, I'm just going to try and get a bowl of soup down today. And you've got to talk about we're always we're fluid we're fluid people your best has to look it's going to look different from day to day but you want to make sure you're constantly improving Mm -hmm. i know we're not we're not going to prolong this but Mm -hmm. i think it's important to get this statement out please or statements we should as a species 
put effort into recognizing that struggle is a mandate. You have to be in a struggle space in order to see progress. You have to first fail to be successful at something, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of people will say, oh, that's that's hogwash, whatever. Failure looks different on everyone, mm-hmm. right? So I need to have a form of struggle in order to measure my success. Mm. And that success is not defined by what the protocol is of the people that are looking at you. That success measurement is defined by the internal person that's talking to you. And that's that voice that you hear. So success is then a byproduct of the internal promotion that you give yourself on a daily basis. Did you accomplish at least a minimum what you set out to accomplish? Mm. Period. And if everybody kind of look at people from that perspective, um, yeah, I might have a nice house, but does that make me successful? By no means. I don't define my success through material things. I just like to enjoy material things. My success is defined by the relationships that I'm able to engage and build with other people. That's how I define success. So if you see me treating you a certain way, I'm trying to increase my success rate. Mm. And I'm trying to get better at a relationship versus that's a metric of success for you. That's a metric of success for me. And you basically just echoed, and I've got to send this to Jackson. I told him I was going to send him this Matthew McConaughey speech, or Mm. it's a YouTube thing of multiple speeches he did, but it's a commencement speech. And he talks about chasing joy versus happiness Mm. and where happiness is kind of constantly moving and shifting based off the goalpost and the metrics we have, where joy, it feels like you're doing what you're fashioned and designed and brought into life doing. And he talks about success. He's like, we all want to be successful, but first you have to define what success looks like for you. Right. And he said, for me, it's a measurement of five things, you know, being like uh, healthy. And he talks about physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, Mm -hmm. being a good father or husband, having a good career. And there were a few other things that. That's interesting. I'll send you that. that send that to me. Send that to me. I would, I would love to see that. I probably have seen it. I just don't recall it. it. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise it's, me. It's an interesting thing that, like, the reason I carry grace is because I understand we are in sickness. That makes sense? Yeah. So, for instance, you try your best to be healthy. You, you really do. You probably watch what you eat from time to time. You probably try to eat great balanced meals and probably try to sleep well, all that good stuff, right? If those things are out of balance at all, you're sick, Mm -hmm. period, right? And if I treat people like they're sick, then I can have grace with you because I know you're not at optimal performance, Mm -hmm. right? And we see what optimal performance gets when we have, and remember, it's never consistent. You'll have blips of optimal performance where you'll be like, man, that dude's a rock star. She's knocking it out the water. Like, what's going on? How are they doing this? Whatever, right? That's the light. That's the fire burning as bright as it can burn before it goes out. Hmm. And we're always in a state of sickness, like focus, um, health, wealth, all these things. We can't be at our best if we're always at our 
worse. That makes sense? Yeah, it does. So we need to treat people with grace because if I treat you with that grace, then I can accept you in your good space and I can accept you in your bad space. Mm. It's people, people, that is ah, people, humans. Human beings are my biggest concern in the sense that I feel for all of them, mm. but I also understand we are the disease, disease that exists in this environment on, on earth. It is, it is us who impact each other. And if people would change their concepts and change their mindsets, we can impact each other for the better. But mm-hmm. not that we haven't been taught it. Yes. We just don't know how to put it into practice. Mm. And if we can practice some of that grace, then we will see people flourish a lot more. Mm-hmm. Why not? Let's flourish together, you know? Why not? Why not practice grace? Dion, I think that's just such a poetic, beautiful way to end this episode. And as always, just very grateful for having conversations with you and being able to pick your brain and you allow me into your house. And we're uh, we're going to get another one on the books here soon, right? For sure. But next time we're going to we're going to outline our subject of conversation. Absolutely. And we're going to go with something that's like <laughs> trending. Okay. I think everybody wants to have a conversation about it. All right. What about that relationship you're in? Oh, wow. That, that voice is right there. I love it. I love it. Well, uh, it was a blast, bud. Thank you so much. And thank you for everyone for listening.